Amen and praise God. I was just to ask a, just a show of hands. How many of you have experienced that you have prayed for someone and God healed them? Okay, just intercession. You prayed for someone and God healed them. How many of you have actually physically laid hands on somebody and they were healed? How many instantly? Okay. So everybody in here knows that that's something you should be doing, right? And it's not, it's not really when, when God gives you something to do, it's not just a suggestion or it's not something that you choose to do whether you want to or not. It is a mandate of God. You understand that? See, God has commands in the earth. God is not um, interested in how we feel about what he tells us to do. You understand what I'm saying? He's not a soulless human like that. See, most of us don't get much done because we're too afraid of what somebody's going to say, what somebody's going to think, what they're going to think about us. Uh, Am I being too forceful? Am I? They're going to think I'm too bossy. They're going to think I'm too wild, too weird. And so that, that condemned soul, that doubtful soul, that pulls back when there's an unction inside of you to go forward. See, God doesn't have any of that to deal with. So that's why he can command, and it don't bug him, how we feel about the command. But see, by the time we get it in us, and it goes filtered through our condemned soul, we pick it up as maybe a suggestion or maybe a good idea, or when I get around to it, or if I feel led. Therein lies the problem. So the reason we have these meetings is to get that out of your soul. That mushy stuff that confuses everything and muddles everything and makes you feel like maybe I shouldn't. And How many of you have ever led somebody to Christ, prayed with them, and they received Jesus? How come we don't do it every day all the time? In offense. Uh, well, you know, I just didn't feel like God was leading me. I don't know if anybody in that big supermarket is going to hell today. Huh? And that's what we do because our souls, because of the fall of man, your soul is made to rob your spirit of every richness that God has for it. Hmm? Carnal mind is the enemy of God. It will never be God's friend. So you can't talk your soul into saving somebody or praying for the sick or any of that stuff. Your soul will never cooperate with that. So you must do as God does with us, give your soul a firm command to stay out of the way because my spirit now is in charge and I'm going to go forth and do what God told me to do. So you have to put your condemned, put everything that's condemned to death on notice that the life of God is now taking over and living in you and living through you. And I'm going to do what thus saith the Lord. Because your spirit does pick it up as a command. Now your spirit heard it right. Your spirit has the right idea and your spirit is on the right road. Your spirit understands it's not a suggestion, it's not a maybe. Your spirit cannot live off suggestions and your spirit knows it. Your spirit 
is waiting in the command is also the strength and the energy to go forward. Write that down, folks, and quit looking at me like I am just fell out of the sky with wings on my back. This is a healing school. See, right there, your spirit's picking up stuff, but your soul says, well, that ain't important. Wait till she gets to something juicy. This is juicy from Jump Street. Huh? You see what I'm saying? You see how lazy your soul is? You see how your soul just wants to rob you of everything that... You know, it ain't the devil most of the time, folks. And y'all know I know the difference because I rebuke him and slap him around whenever I need to. But it's really not the devil all the time. It's us not wanting to move too far forward, not wanting to get too far out. Huh? We need to get so far out we can't get back in again too easy. We need to get far out and stay out. And see what God would do with a too far out people if they would ever respond by the unction of the Spirit. So your spirit can only handle the command of God. Your spirit does not respond to suggestions. That's why he doesn't listen to your soul. Now you, your will will listen to your soul and your will will let your soul be in charge sometimes. Or your will will determine you're going to go on with God and I'm going to do this thing. I don't care if I am embarrassed. Suppose I ask them if they know Jesus and they say no and don't want to. Well, at least you know the answer. Hmm? You got more information than you had before you even asked them anything. Suppose I go up to somebody, God, and I ask them if they want me to pray for them and they say no. Well, you know they don't want it. You know, people have a right to want and not to want certain things. But it's not you who's doing the healing. It's not you who had the idea to get it. It's God who had the idea to get him healed to begin with. And all God needs is somebody to follow that open door so that he can help humanity. Many people get discouraged. Well, you know, I offered to pray for my, you know, brother, sister, wife, or somebody, and they said no. Well, what are you going to do about it? Is that going to kill, you know, A.A. Allen? Is that going to kill Smith Wigglesworth because one person said no, they didn't want to be healed? I feel sorry for that one person because they passed up an opportunity to receive from God. But you can't let the thought of what if they say no keep you from obeying the unction. Because there is an unction that comes to each and every one of us to function for God. Whether we feed it and obey it or not really makes a difference in whether or not you ever bless anybody, whether you help anybody, how often you do it, how well you do it. And let me let you in on another little secret while you, you know, we're just sharing stuff here. If you never move on a minor unction, don't look for nothing major to fall on you. Huh? Like, you know, if you can't get the cat healed, don't look for a healing minutes. Don't look to be Benny Hinn tomorrow. Why? Because unctions grow. As they're used, they grow. You cannot, you cannot have more than what you're willing to use. It, everything's a seed that you sow. Everything. Every effort that you make to obey God is a seed that you sow. As you sow that seed, a greater harvest will come in that same area. 
So don't let your soul lie to you and say, well, you know, I just need more anointing is why I don't lay hands on anybody. You ain't got the little, you using the little bit you got right now. And he gives you more, it'll just be more you don't use. You understand me? You don't, you don't do things by how you feel, how powerful you are. You don't know what you have inside of you till you release it. And this is, here is the thing of faith again. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Suppose, for instance, I told you, um, uh, you know, if, if, if God wants to be pleased with our faith, if it takes faith to please him, there must be something in him that's willing to release whatever you need if you please him. So sitting back not wanting to lay hands on Uncle Buck, you understand, everybody got one. A drunk uncle with a hangover. That's the best taste test case in the world for whether or not you got it. Huh? Because Uncle Buck needs to know the Lord. He ain't going to go to church with you. He ain't going nowhere with you. And so he's sitting there with a splitting headache, and you feel led. I mean, for real, though. You feel something, say, ask him. Well, if you... Don't use your faith. You won't please God and he won't give you any power. Do you you understand how that works? If I tell you, Becky, you go and clean your room. When you come back, I'll give you $5. You want the five? You want to stick me up for it now, don't you? (laughs) But the condition is go clean your room. And so the condition is we must move out and use our faith before the power will come for us to do anything. You can't cheat this system. You can't try to test it out some other little crooked, crazy way to see if you got it. Because you don't got nothing other than what he can send you. So you're going to have to step out there on midair. You're going to have to step out there with nothing under you. You're going to have to step out there with just the unction, and he told me, and I think he said it. And even that you ain't sure. Because all the way to going to lay hands on Uncle Buck, you're trembling and nervous. Am I doing the right thing? Your soul is going to fight you. Your soul wants you to go around cussing people out, killing people, and doing dope. You know, he don't want you involved in no good works. And so you have to realize that once you step out and use the faith, then more will come to you. So by the time you get over to Uncle Buck, you're feeling pretty confident, pretty powerful. Hey, it's all right. I should do this every day. And see, you should. Because that feeling of confidence and satisfaction really is the faith that it's going to take. See, the unction has a little bit of faith. It has a nudge of faith to get you to take the step. Every step you take toward laying hands on Uncle Buck, you get more faith, you get more confidence. You won't get it if he's over here and you're over in the other room. It ain't feeling that great over there. But as you walk toward him, you get more confident, you get more assurance, and when you get ready to do the touch, it's there. That's just the way faith is. It says without works is dead. So when Uncle Buck's over here drunk at the dining room table and you're over here in the living room trying to avoid him, your faith is dead because it's by itself. It has no works to strengthen it. 
Work strengthens faith. Obeying the unction strengthens faith. It makes it alive. It quickens it. It energizes it. It makes it more than what it was when you're sitting over there just thinking about it. Trying to figure, well, if I look stupid, see, if I, God, if I lay hands on him and he'll get healed, he ain't going to get healed. God will heal him. See, we got to be careful how we think about things. God is doing the healing. If you put God in everything, you will feel more confidence, not he gets healed. God heals him. He don't get nothing. God gives it to him, and he must receive it from God. Healing is part of the Spirit of God. When people will come up to say, well, I got healed. You didn't get healed. God healed you. See, the reason we have little confidence in these things sometimes is because we don't always acknowledge God in the situation. You'll hear people on on Benny Hinn give testimony. Very little glory goes to God sometimes, folks. And he got healed. My healing manifested. And it didn't manifest. God gave it. Jesus was here walking these aisles waiting for somebody to come alive with their faith. And he is the healer. Y'all just worshipped him long enough to get him to come down and touch somebody. And then you took it away from him by saying, I got healed. If you can know that God is the one giving you the unction and moving you, then you will feel more power, I guarantee you. Once you know it's God who's doing the healing and you acknowledge him as the healer, you will feel his power because you know where the power's coming from. It's very simple. So as you move toward the object that is for the release of the blessing, the faith increases. This is how faith works. It's funny that way. You can't have a lot of it when you're sitting back somewhere. But if you will get up and move toward it, move with the unction, move toward the object for the release of your faith, your faith will get stronger. It will definitely get stronger. Why? Jesus said if you have a faith as a grain of a mustard seed, a mustard seed's got to be planted. You plant your faith by using it, and it grows right before your eyes, folks. It doesn't, it's not like a, a plant plant that you plant. That you got to wait for months. Sometimes that mustard seed can sprout in three seconds. You can be sitting back just thinking about doing something. The next thing you know, you take one step toward and the unction hits you. And you're off and running. But I'm telling you, you're not going to feel real confident about doing anything for anybody until you get in the arena where the faith to be really. Get in the arena where the object is that's to receive the healing. Many of you have had what I call healing accidents. Huh? You know, you wake up one morning, the baby's hot, and you don't know what they're, oh, Lord, have mercy. I see a bug going, oh, Lord, have mercy. Please, baby, baby, baby. And, and the baby starts to cool down. Huh? Well, the unction was there. It was shrouded in your tears and your fear and that kind of thing. But the unction is stronger than your fear once you get to the object where it needs a healing. You see what I'm saying? And so God will get, honey, God will heal people in spite of us. Do you know that? I mean, I wouldn't recommend that as a way of life. I think he prefers to give us knowledge, and we use our knowledge and understanding. 
But faith is so powerful that when it gets to the place that, that needs the release of the power of God, that faith will just cause that power to go into that vessel that needs it. When you lay hands on people, you can feel the transfer of the anointing and the faith into that person. And you can tell, if a minister is attentive, they can tell when that, that symptom is removed. They just know because virtue goes out of us, just like it went out of Jesus. So if we will pay attention to these things and acknowledge these things and understand some very simple, basic things about faith. Now let me tell you something else. Faith is not something you have to work up, shout up, dance up. Praise up, pray in tongues up. I'm just going to go get a sip of water while y'all think about that. Huh? Those are not works that accompany your faith. Those are works that usually accompany unbelief. Come on now, somebody. You either got it or you don't, and you didn't get it by hooping and hollering for five minutes. And if you're doing that or you thought that, just repent and change your mind. Because that's not how it works. You either got it or you don't. Faith comes by doing what? Jeez. Not hooping and hollering. And You understand what I'm saying? Now, you can edify your spirit that way, and you might feel better. But I'm telling you, an unction will come on you based on what you do when you ain't hooping and hollering. When you alone somewhere in the house and you ain't watching 2020, Jerry Springer, Oprah Winfrey, or HGTV, or Food Channel, or CNN for all you highbrow intellectual people. Faith comes when it's just you and you by yourself in free time and see what you do with it. Do you study your word or don't you? Huh? And I mean the word. I'm not talking about just worship tapes all the time or that music y'all like. But I'm talking about the Bible. Open it up and see what God has to say to you. So faith is something that we must have and we, we must obey the spirit of faith. Faith has a voice. It talks to us. It speaks to us. It tells us what to do. The spirit of faith is the unction to move forward. Everybody's got a measure of faith. Whether you obey it or not, and whether you use it in God's kingdom is the whole issue. You can use your faith to develop an ability to believe God for the supernatural. And when the time comes for the release of that ministry and the release of that gift to somebody, you can make yourself available so that God will release that through you. That's our responsibility is to hide the word inside of us and edify our spirits so that when we come upon somebody that really needs something, you'll know that that's an unction from God based on what you put in there and what you believe. If you really believe Jesus is a healer, you lay hands on somebody when God tells you to. If you really believe Jesus is a savior, you will lead somebody to Christ when he opens the door for that. And so it's based on whether or not you hide the word in your heart and you meditate on it until you really are convinced and you believe it. See, ministry is not something 
that you look for man to put you into. You're the man who will put you in the ministry or a woman. Ministry is some, not something that the pastor either does or doesn't want you to do. Or they didn't give you freedom in the last church you were in. That's not ministry. That is, that is related to ministry. But ministry is what you do with the Great Commission. No man can keep you from doing what God tells you to do when it's just you and that person that has a need. So that's true ministry. That's what God really, that's why a lot of people never get a church ministry. Because we step over people who have a need and try to get to people in a church so we can look big in front of people or look wonderful to ourselves or try to fulfill some kind of fantasy we have about ourselves. And we pass by a dozen people who need Christ on the way to church and sit there and get mad at people. We get in sin hating people that don't recognize our gift because we don't recognize it. How can they recognize what you don't recognize and what you don't have? And so we need to, folks, understand what we are down here about. What is this for? What are we here for? We are here to carry out the Great Commission. We're here to understand faith. We're here to understand who we are. We're here to fulfill the works of Christ and do what the work that he left us to do. We're here to do all those things, and it's not an option. It's not something that, you know, there's never a season for soul winning or a season for healing or a season for anything else in God's kingdom. People need Jesus said, you look out and see the fields are white to harvest all the time. There's always some work to do in God's field every day. So we should never look for a season because if you're looking for that, it'll never come, folks. It comes based on just simple obedience to God in everyday situations. Simple situations where people who have needs, when you hear of that need, the word of God is the first thing that comes to your mind. That's the first answer that you're able to think of for people when you see that they have a need. When people tell you they need money, it's not for you to give it to them all the time. So don't be afraid to ask people what their need is. And and don't be ashamed to say, I'll pray for you and know that's the best thing you can do for them. You know, some people we think we use I'll pray for you as a cop-out so we don't have to do anything. But I'll pray for you is the best answer you can give anybody to any situation or problem that they have. Because, you know, if they want a real answer, they'll take it from God. If they don't want a real answer and they just want to rip you off, they'll look to you for things. So you let people know that you are the one who can help them to get their needs met by God, and God will help meet their needs. So in Isaiah 53, I want to share that with you today. And this is a foundation for our being able to do all of these works in God, all of the works that we do. The foundation rests in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The release to the body of believers is given because of the finished work of Calvary, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now the arm of the Lord refers to the strength of God, Or the power of God. 
when your arm is revealed, it's just a way of saying, you know how people roll up their sleeves when they want to work and it takes real strength. Well, that's what that phrase means. When the arm of the Lord is revealed, the Holy Spirit is the arm of the Lord, folks. He is the strength of God. And it says here, for he shall grow up before us, before him, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. So really, the price that was needed for healing to come and for sin to be eradicated. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. Now, when people try, I was thinking about the example, everybody was here last night, heard the example Brother Horton gave about the gentleman who refused to be healed. And and briefly, if somebody wasn't here last night, this man was a Christian and he fell into adultery, said he repented, but he decided when he came down with cancer that he didn't want to be healed because he said his sin had to be paid for. Well, death is not really payment for sin. Mm -hmm. So really, he couldn't pay for it if he wanted to. Now, the wages of sin is death. Wages are what you work to earn. But that's not the same thing as payment for your sin. The only thing that can pay for sin is what? The blood of Jesus. There was no blood that man could shed to pay for his sin, so he let the devil take his life, and the sin wasn't even paid for. Jesus still had to pay for his sin, even though he went ahead and let the devil kill him with some kind of nonsense like that. So sickness really is not payment for your sin either. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, this will help some people who feel like if you suffer long enough, and most people have a little bit of that in them. I mean, whether we admit it or not. You know, if you come down with something, you start, well, Lord, you know us. And their mind automatically goes to, what did I do to deserve this? I mean, we all say it in some form or another. You know, uh, uh, smart, charismatic, religious people say, what door did I open? Door number one, door number two, or door number three, Vanna. You know, pick a door, any door. Huh? We do things to get in trouble all the time. To be honest with you, we need to rejoice that we don't get more bad stuff happening to us. Instead of 
What door did I open? I usually live so perfectly before God. My goodness, God. I mean, that's the implication there when you think about it. I'm like, honey, what door didn't you open? Because last night when your husband came home and wanted something to eat, you opened up every door and slammed it back and said you weren't going to cut nothing. Truth. I mean, Moses, who was the meekest man that God knew, had spent 40 days in the presence of God. He was, his face was so glorious he had to wear a veil over it. Huh? It was shiny. He'd been with God so long. He carried that with him just from spending time in the presence of God, sat down and watched God's finger burn holes in some tablets of stone. And by the time he couldn't even get to the bottom of the mountain, he's so ticked off at his brethren, he broke all Ten Commandments before he got down to the bottom of the mountain. So tell me, what door did you open to get the headache you got? What door did you open that allowed somebody to break in your house? What door did you open? I mean, think about it. Is that a stupid question or what? So why do we ask ourselves? I'll tell you why. Because our carnal minds still think legalistically. We still think if I could go backwards and undo something wrong that I've done, maybe I could get this off of me. Or if I can repent 15 times and promise God I'm never going to do it again. When somebody's looking, that's what we ought to say. Huh? There will be good kids. So we have nothing left, folks, but to rely on the power of the blood of Jesus. We've got no, nothing else makes sense to do except to just throw yourself on the mercy of God. If we can spend as much time getting it into us that this blood takes care of everything. This blood, I know I shouldn't, I shouldn't even want to get off scot-free with anything, and God, I want to get scot-free, and I don't even understand what this is all about, but you did it for me anyway. And I'm going to believe in the power of the blood and rest in it and take advantage of it. Because I'm more good to you in righteousness than I am in condemnation. I'm worth more you doing this for me, God, so that I can get up and do something for you. And I can't do anything if I'm stuck and feeling bad because of what I didn't do right. So God pulls us out of a hole of guilt, condemnation, fear, you know, my bad, all that stuff. Why? So that we can get up and do something for humanity. So that we can get up and do something to bless somebody. So that we can get up and do something to help somebody. So we can start being forward moving instead of condemned all the time. Condemnation stalls your engine. It's like putting gunk in your gas tank. I don't know what that is, but you know what I'm saying. Like not getting your oil. I used to get it all the time because I didn't get my oil changed often enough. You know what I'm saying? So it's like leaving dirty oil in your engine and not changing your oil. It will slow you down. It will keep you from going forward in God. It will keep you from believing God will use you. It will keep you from from thanking God for the blood and understanding that, God, it seems like I'm taking advantage of this because I should know better than to sin. But I did it anyway. 
and here I am and I need it. Please help me to understand and appreciate and just partake of the fact that the blood has cleansed me again from all unrighteousness. So don't let the devil rip you off by thinking that if you were to confess and get set free, you haven't suffered enough. Hmm? Because you will. You understand? For all those people who feel they never suffer enough, more suffering is coming to you. Because what you, you, get, you get what you believe. And there are many of us who go through things and trouble unnecessarily simply out of guilt. I should be a better Christian. I should know better than to do this. I should be here by now. But you ain't there. And maybe part of your problem is that you do think too highly of yourself. Just be who you are. Be thankful for the blood. Just creep along with the rest of us creeps. Huh? Because I ain't where I think I ought to be most of the time either, but I'm doing the best I can where I am. And that's going to be my report. God, just give me something to do at my level so I can do the best that I can where I am. And when you find me faithful, give me some more to do, and I'll do the best I can with that, God. And we'll just keep running on in Jesus. Because the blood is for us, folks. It is for us. It is on our behalf. It is on our part. The blood helps us. And so he was wounded for us. He was bruised for us. And his wounds and his bruises paid for our healing. Now, I've been, been made aware this movie isn't out yet, but they say that Mel Gibson has made a, a movie about the crucifixion of Christ. And, you know, already people are lining up. People with their opinions are lining up. And they're all re- always dead church people. Uh, this is uh, uh doctor. It's always got to be a Ph.D. somebody, you know. People nobody ever knows for real. Next, That's never your next door neighbor, is it? Where do those people live? Huh? They only come out at a CNN interview. Or at school, you know, nobody. I didn't stay in long enough to really get to know them people too well. I stayed as long as I needed to, believe me. But um, it, then it's the dead religious people, theology, you know, professor. And uh, this movie seems to be fixated on violence. And uh, it is teaching the young people violence and how all this. And from what, from what Christian Christians say, you know, people read the Bible Christians, it's pretty close to what anybody could make without being too grotesque. Because the Bible says he was marred more than any man. He was not even recognizable as a human being so much was he disfigured that the Roman general centurion that stood by and saw him said, surely this was the son of God. Because he watched many crucifixions and he never saw anybody get crucified like that before. So he was convinced. Listen, the cross is where people are convinced that Jesus Christ really did die for their sins. And there's a revelation of the cross even though we don't see it physically now. But I'm thinking to myself, God, if we've been playing the blood of Jesus too cheap, if we've been thinking that what he just, you know, you, your mind just skips over certain things and you don't really focus in on, you know, denial, huh? 
and not just a river in Egypt. Ah! Okay. You know what I'm saying? We can get that way sometimes. And if you don't focus in on understanding the suffering that one man took for you, and you don't focus in on understanding what you had coming to you, had he not done that, and focus in on the fact that he really didn't deserve it, but he did it willingly for all of us so that we could all have eternal redemption and not be lost forever. If you don't understand, and I'm saying to myself, God, maybe you made that, you might have made that movie just for Christians. For we can go and find out exactly what our Lord went through for us and appreciate that and understand that and respect that. That needs to be respected, folks. It needs to be held in high esteem. So when the intellectual people and the theology people start capitalizing on the violence, it's because they don't know the blood. They don't know the power of the blood. They don't even see that it was Jesus that died for them on their behalf. I understand this man has received death threats. His parents have received death threats because of this movie. Listen, the devil don't threaten to kill you because you, you make, you know... Pornographers make them all the time if you don't threaten them. But then you, you make a movie that depicts the gift of eternal life that comes to humanity and how it comes and what it can take care of in your life. And all of a sudden the devil wants to kill somebody. And I'm telling you the power of the blood of Jesus is very, very real. It's probably convicting everybody who sees that movie. And they're angry and they want to lash out at somebody because they don't know yet what to do with their sins. They want to be on the partaking side of it and don't know how to get over in there. And so we need to understand, folks, that God's helping us out here with certain things. And he's helping believers to understand this is no mere love. This is no cheap salvation that we've gotten into here, folks. This is not something that was just done by somebody and it doesn't mean anything and see once you get an understanding a revelation of what jesus really went through for you you'll appreciate it more huh listen if mothers can think of you my mother used to say to us all the time you better shut up talking back to me all them pains i went through to bring you in here you understand what i'm saying and there's a lot of truth to that there is a lot of truth to that and if your natural mother can say it who think it, you know, a lot of y'all won't say it, but you know what I'm saying. They come smart off to you and you want to slap them. You know, think about, hmm, give you some of that back. <laughs> huh? Yeah. And, and so I think it's fitting that Christians understand and appreciate that Jesus just didn't go through something we blank out when we start thinking about it. We need to think about the pain that he went through. We need to think about the shame that he went through. We need to think about how they spat on him. You know, imagine slapping him and telling him to tell, tell us blindfold to slap and say, prophesy, tell us who did it. Can you imagine such a thing? And see, that's the way the world feels about God. That's, that's how your carnal mind sometimes will feel about God. You understand what I'm saying? And you've got to fight that thing. You've got to renew yourself in the word of God. You can't let carnality run your world. You can't let your fears run your life. You can't let your, your past run your life. Misgivings, faults, all this stuff. You cannot let this stuff run your life. 
And he says, verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody's done this, folks. And he didn't list how we strayed. He said, all y'all sheep, and you're wandering around blind, and you'll stray off in a minute. He said, everybody's done it. Everybody. There is no bad wandering and good wandering. Wandering's wandering. And he said, we have turned everyone to his own way. So whenever you get your own ideas about stuff, you got, you know, something that you want to do and you don't care if God approves of it or not. Huh? That's iniquity. It's what the Bible says here. And he says, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. So even your own ideas that get you in trouble. People feel like, well, I can't do any better. Yes, you can. The blood of Jesus has paid for you to do better. It says, our iniquity was laid on him. So really, we don't have that anymore. And if it tries to creep up on us, we can resist it by renewing our minds in the Word. But you've got to know what iniquity is, folks. It's anything that tells you to obey your flesh. Anything that tells you to put that before God. Anything that teaches you to, teach, to take pleasure over obedience to God. That's iniquity. Your spirit just wants to please God. Your spirit just wants to obey the Father. So anything that leads you down a different road is iniquity. But the Bible says that was laid on him at the cross. That is what made him bleed. Your iniquity and my iniquity is what drew blood from Jesus. It says he was oppressed. That's why we don't have to be. Hmm? You feel depressed. You say, I don't know. I just, you know, nobody loves me. I don't know what's wrong with me. You don't have to take it. You hear me? Now, what most people do is feel sorry for themselves immediately. Instead of rebuking the oppression and fighting it. Listen, I was depressed for five years before I read a tract. I got a tract from the 700 Club that says you can be delivered from demonic oppression. And I didn't realize that those were demons oppressing me. And so one day I stood in the mirror and I looked at that track and I said, In Jesus' name, I command you oppression to leave me. And I felt nothing. And I said, Well, okay, God, if that's true, what happened to the oppression? It's still here. About three hours later, I felt something lift off of my shoulders. Mm-hmm called faith it's called faith not magic magic means it goes abracadabra poof right before your very eyes even as a baby Christian he wouldn't let me get the wrong idea about what faith is that's how faithful God is and see a lot of times we think we're suffering unnecessarily honey he's got you in training program I don't even know where some of these ministers come from nowadays. I don't have a clue. They don't know much about God. Don't have much power. You listen to their testimony. They really don't have one. They've never met the Lord in power. 
yet they're up hooping and hollering in front of people and most of them, their testimony has to do with just rebellion all their lives and finally got converted and they think that made them a minister overnight. Well, I got news for y'all. It don't happen like that. You have to live a life with God. You got to stay where you are. Listen, I kept telling God, you better, you better get me healed so I don't kill myself. I told him that almost every day for five years. You know he let me walk around thinking I was going to kill myself. And I didn't kill myself. And you know the result of it is, I know anybody who's threatening to kill themselves ain't going to kill themselves. As long as we stick God on them, you know how to pray the prayer and you can stay the hand of even a person who wants to end their own life. So listen, suicidal people don't even upset me. I have people used to call me at 3 in the morning. Well, you know, we, we need to pray for my cousin. He's threatening suicide. I said, we ain't going to do it in Jesus' name. I go to bed. Huh? Say amen, somebody, or just stay confused. But you better agree with this. You know why? Because it's real. Because I'm a living witness. You can want to kill yourself every day for five years and not do it because the blood of Jesus took away your iniquity. He bore your pain. He carried your sorrows. He took your sickness. Let the devil threaten you. Your kid called you up and took an overdose. He better not overdose. In Jesus' name. Because we got the power of the blood to stop all that foolishness. The suicide devil don't scare me. Listen, that's how we were able to get Jack Kevorkian out of business. Because I spent five years with a suicide devil and I know he ain't no more powerful than our, our aunt. In Jesus' name. You live with it for five years and it don't bug you, you'll know he took it. You're convinced he took it. Well, God, if I didn't move on that, I guess you did take it. You mean it takes you five years to, oh, yeah. Yeah, it might take you five years to believe Isaiah 53, 5. Huh? But you got to do what it takes to believe. What do you care how long? What else you going to do? You got something else planned you're going to spend your time on? Now, you're going to develop your faith because that's all you have left. See, Jesus in my Bible was all I had. I didn't have good teachers. I didn't have a meeting I could go to. I didn't have anything like that. I just had to totally trust God. And I found out what it means when it says the Holy Spirit will keep you. You know, we think that some just old folks sitting on the front pew with gray hair and say, Baby, he a keeper. Well, I know he a keeper. He's a warden, he's a counselor, he's all of that stuff that you need. So devils don't upset me. Because I've had five years of helplessness feeling like I was under their dominion and he kept me. Now I can't explain keeping to you for nothing. But I know I've experienced it. And I know that there's a hand of love that restrains you from doing a lot of things that would harm you and damage you. And see, if we would trust God more, instead of getting sophisticated, or I'm just developing my faith and standing on the Word and all the little phrases we use. No, you've got to trust God, my friend. It's just that simple. And you can trust Him because the blood is paid for everything that you need. There's nothing on this earth that won't come to you because the blood of Jesus is paid for. Your faith may not be all it needs to be. 
Your confession may suck, bite, and blow. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there's some people that don't even have a confession. Everything out of their mouth is a complaint. It's a criticism. You wonder how they live, how they don't just blow up and die. And see, I know the ones that you hate that language the most are the most guilty. Huh? Because you sit in judgment of everything all the time. And you criticize everything. And everything's wrong. And how could they be preaching? And ah, nah, 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 nah. It's a wonder people that like that don't self-destruct for their own words. But see, the blood of Jesus takes care of all of that. It allows you to be able to have a grace in God, even though you're shooting off your mouth with things you should never confess. Huh? There's nobody in whose confession is so tight. You know, what door did I open? You opened them all. Huh? Even in our silence sometimes, oh, I don't want to confess a bad thing, I'm going to shut up. Your thinking will draw crazy stuff to you. Huh? So we got to get real here, folks. you got to understand, it's either the blood or you don't have it. If it's not the blood, it's not, it's not real. If you're not standing on what Jesus did for you, you're not standing on anything. It says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. If he had, he would have blown everything. Now this is something else, you know, we need to address sometimes. Hmm? Sometimes when we're accused, even if we're accused falsely, we need to open not our mouths. Because the more you say in defense of yourself, the less the blood has an opportunity to work for you. Hmm? Let the blood testify for you. If you're innocent, we'll all know it. And usually the person accusing you has no authority to do anything to you. You ever notice how we'll argue with people and say, well, you did so and so and so. No, I didn't. You know, and making excuses. What for? They have no power to do anything to you. All they're doing is shooting words at you. And see, Jesus opened up his, not his mouth. Why? Because God was his defense. God the Father was his defense. If you can let God the Father be your defense, folks. Huh? We need to shut up sometimes. And let God, and let the blood work. If you're accused, sometimes you need to agree with You know what? I did do that. I'm sorry. Huh? That's permissible, too. We don't have to vindicate ourselves all the time. But I know one thing, anybody accuses you falsely, the Bible says that they will be condemned. But you've got to let the blood work for you. If you don't let it work for you, their words will never be condemned. Their words will be right because you're standing there trying to defend yourself. It says in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. says, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. This is why we don't say anything when we're falsely accused. Because if you try to defend yourself, it's easy for deceit to creep into your mouth. 
You ever notice when some people can get you on the defensive and you never shut up explaining? Hmm? Innocent is only one word. And why do we go on and on and on and on trying to defend ourselves and explain? And huh? Because there's some deceit there. We're trying to convince somebody of our innocence instead of letting God convince them. They accuse you of stealing something from your job. Don't go to everybody and try to explain everybody where you were and what you did and why you didn't take it. You wait for God to open your mouth. You wait for God to put words there. He can speak to people and they'll never charge you with anything. But sometimes we talk too much in our own defense. You know why? Because we all carry around at least a little bit of guilt about something all the time. And we always feel like we, you, you, your own life. You know what they say? A man who has himself or a lawyer has what is a client? <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and being the devil's advocate is the worst job you could sign up for. He's condemned already. And see, some of us start advocating for the devil because we want to find fault with things and always want to defend ourselves. And see, if we let the blood speak for us, we'll be a lot better off. Sometimes we need to agree with our adversary and just say, you know what, that's right. You know, I did have that in my heart. Or I wasn't feeling good that day. Or I was in a bad mood that day. See, it's those bad mood days that we never address that work into iniquity. That is the door that we probably open, huh? that we're always looking for. But see, if somebody was to really tell you how you open that door, you start denying it. huh? That's why you need to just plead the blood and say, God, you know what, I probably did that, and I'm sorry. If I did that, I'm sorry. I need to apologize to somebody, and I'm going to get this straightened out instead of trying to defend myself. And he said he made his grave with the rich. I'm sorry, with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet, yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not us. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not us. You know why it pleased the Lord? It doesn't please us to see him bruised. Now, I don't believe that for one minute. I don't think anybody feels good about what Jesus had to go through for us. But it did please the Lord to bruise him. You know why? God weighed in the balance all of humanity against the life of one sinless son of his, and he said it's worth it. He looked at everybody sitting here going to hell and screaming and crying eternally. And being lost eternally. And he looked at the bruises on his son and he said, it's worth it. He had one in one hand and one in the other. And it said, it pleases me that I can let him go through this so that all of humanity can be saved and be healed and be prosperous and live with me eternally. Every creature that's ever born, mankind, can have his sins forgiven. I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased with my decision to take his life in exchange for many lives. I'm pleased with my decision to let people go free of disease and illness and death, eternal death. And so it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. 
when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So he will prolong the days of Jesus' seed based on the sacrifice that he made. So that's how you and I escape death and sickness. Our days are prolonged. He's able to prolong the days of everybody on earth. So you should expect to live a long life. You shouldn't expect to die early. I don't care what mama. You're the seed of the righteous now. You're the seed of God. And so you can have your days prolonged simply because of what Jesus did for you. And it says, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. God is satisfied that Jesus has paid fully for everything. The travail of his soul satisfied God. So he's not mad at you anymore. He's not holding any sin against you anymore. Your sin is not an issue to him anymore. What you did and the door you opened is not an issue to him anymore. Now, it would be nice for you if you could close every door, but I guarantee you probably can't. Before you walk across the door, you see something that makes you upset or angry, or something flash through your mind that you don't like. Or you'll be going along as nice as you please, and somebody will remind you of somebody that did you wrong. And so then, you know, there you are back with an open door again. But God said that Jesus' soul labored in pain and travail, and God was satisfied. He saw the suffering in Jesus in his soul, and that satisfied him. So if God is satisfied, why do we have an issue with what we didn't do? Why do we have an issue with everybody else's sin? Why do we have an issue with what somebody did to us that wasn't right? Why do we have an issue? If God is satisfied, he saw the travail of Jesus' soul, and that satisfied him. He doesn't need us to suffer. He doesn't need us to feel bad about what we did any longer than the Holy Ghost makes you feel bad about it. He doesn't need us to carry around, I'm not worthy. And maybe I shouldn't come to the altar because I didn't do this right. Or, you know, the foolishness people have about not taking communion because they got some against somebody. Get it out of the way and go take communion and get fellowship with God again. All of this has been taken care of. Why? God saw Jesus suffer and he was satisfied. He said, it's finished. Everything that I need to bring them back to me has been done already. Everything that has been covered, every base, every inch of his body was marred and scarred so that every inch of your body could be totally restored. There is nothing that God will not restore to us. He'll bring your health back. He'll bring your spouse back. He'll bring your kids back. He'll bring your family back. He'll bring everything back. And you know what? For most of y'all who didn't move, even though you got loved ones, see, I know the games you play out there. When I say he'll bring your spouse back, I don't want that. I feel it. You think I don't? Hey, listen, what do you think preachers are here for? Just to look stupid? I feel it when you resist what God's saying. But you know what? Whatever's blocking you from feeling good about him coming back, he'll remove that too. Huh? 
Because he's satisfied. When are we going to be satisfied that we don't have to dislike people anymore? When are we going to be satisfied that we don't need to be afraid of people anymore? Because they did this to us and that to us. No, what they did that to, that person died a long time ago. And if you'll let that person stay dead, it'll shock you what God will do to you because he's satisfied. He's satisfied that they haven't done anything wrong to you. He's satisfied even if they haven't asked your forgiveness. He's satisfied that was paid for. You understand me? If yours was paid for, theirs is paid for too. So God is satisfied. Why do we have problems all the time? We always got issues. Everybody oozing out on everybody. Well, you know, how are you doing? And you know the ones who will sit and listen to you rag on about somebody. You know the ones who will rebuke you. And when you're in that mood, you go find the ones who will let you rag on and tell them how pitiful your life is and what you had to go through. And Well, I got news for you. God is satisfied. He's not thinking about your wounds. He's not thinking about your past wounds. He's more interested in your healing than he is your past wounds. He's more interested in what you can do in the future if you get over it and move on. And when I say get over it, I mean get over it. Just step over it. Don't pay any attention to it and keep going because he's satisfied that debt's been paid for. Jesus paid for everything that anybody has ever suffered through any other human being. Why don't you let yourself get satisfied like God's satisfied? We need to let a lot of this junk go. Holding grudges, don't want to be around people, can't stand this and can't stand that. God is satisfied. He's satisfied it's been paid for. He's satisfied nobody owes him anything. If nobody owes him anything, I tell you, nobody owes you anything either. Because he's a holy God. We're sinners just like they are. We, of all people, should have more compassion. And I'm telling you, this grudge holding in the body of Christ, we need to grow up and cut that junk out. We need to stop it. Because if God, if they could do what they did to his son, we could do what we've done to his son. It's our sin that put him to death. And God can forgive us and be satisfied that we can forgive other people and be satisfied. Now, I'm telling you, unforgiveness holds more people in poverty. It holds them in sickness. It holds them in every inch of the curse. You know, sometimes you can, your health can be pretty good, but your money's messed up. Well, what's in your heart? Are you satisfied with everybody that you know? Are you satisfied that they haven't done anything wrong to you? Are you satisfied that that sin's removed? Are you satisfied that they're not standing in your way of happiness and holding you back and keeping you from doing this and keeping you from doing that? Are you satisfied that that's not going on in your life? Stand to your feet. If not, you need to get right now. Get satisfied. God, if you let them go, I'm letting them go. God, if they cool with you, they cool with me. Huh? God's satisfied, honey. All he's doing is waiting for somebody to partake of the benefit of it. And see, I'm convinced if they see more Christianity out of Christians, we'd have more people taking advantage of what God's provided for them. So we're going to worship God a little bit and thank him that he's satisfied. We don't owe him anything anymore for our sin. Father, we thank you. We don't owe you any suffering for our sin. 
We don't owe you anything. You are satisfied that the bill's paid. You're satisfied that we don't owe you anything. You're satisfied that we're not suffering here. You are satisfied when we receive our healing and go free. It doesn't, it doesn't please you at all that we be wounded. It pleased you to bruise your son because you waited in the balance and you saw all of humanity being saved by one sinless man. And you said, I'm satisfied with this. This satisfies God so that anybody can receive healing, anybody can receive salvation, anybody can receive blessing and benefit because God's satisfied. It is the satisfaction of God, folks. It's the satisfaction of God. He's pleased with us now. And if he's pleased, he'll allow us to have anything that we ask for. So thank God that he's pleased with you. Father, I thank you that you're pleased with us. I thank you, Lord, that you will change and, and take this iniquity from us. We don't have to hold on to it. It's not protecting us from anything or anybody. It's standing in our way. Now, let me tell you something the Lord's speaking to me to tell some of you. Some of you are afraid to forgive people because you think as long as you don't like them, that protects you from further hurt. It ain't that hard to figure out. If you have something against somebody, you distance yourself from them. And you do it to protect yourself from further hurt. You need to experience the miracle of forgiveness. You need to experience the miracle of somebody doing you wrong and you wanting to get even closer to them. That's what Jesus did. The whole world did him wrong. What did he say on the cross? Forgive them, Father. They don't even know what they're doing. And that brought humanity back close to him. That brought them, the ones that had, had rejected and despised him, were embraced again by him because of his forgiveness on the cross. And that's a miracle. It's a miracle many people don't ever experience because they don't understand the power of forgiveness and the power of reconciliation. All we know as humans is how to build walls. And how to keep people away from us. Because they did us so wrong they don't deserve to be around us anymore. Well, God says, if you will get satisfied like I'm satisfied, you could let the wall down. There are more things than just that human soul on the other side of that wall of forgiveness. There's blessings you haven't tapped into. There's security you haven't tapped into. There's peace of mind you haven't tapped into. There's love, new relationships you have never tapped into simply because you've got a wall up between you and blessings. So if you get satisfied like God is satisfied and take that wall down, you'll find that some of the seed you've sown that hasn't prospered yet is still trying to prosper, but it's being blocked by the wall. You'll find some of the things that you want to do for God you've had to put off will come closer to you because they're not being blocked by that wall of iniquity. You think that wall protects you, but it's keeping you out of the blessings of God. 
So the Lord says, forgive them, let them go, and be satisfied. Forgive them, let them go, and be satisfied. Forgive them, forgive them, let them go, and be satisfied. Don't take on unrest about forgiving somebody. That's the devil. You forgive somebody and it bugs you. The Lord says, be satisfied. When you forgive them, be satisfied that you've done what you're supposed to do and you're pleasing me and you feel like I feel about them, says the Spirit of God. You need to feel like I feel about them, says the Spirit of God. They disappointed you, but you can get over it. They hurt you, but you can get over it. They deceived you, but you can get over it. They let you down, but you can get over it. Just forgive them and let them go and be satisfied. Just be satisfied with the fact that you obeyed me, says the Spirit of God. Be satisfied. Be satisfied. I'm satisfied. You be satisfied. You be satisfied, says the Spirit. You be satisfied. Be satisfied. Be satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. There are sick waiting to be healed. But God's waiting for you to be satisfied. He's waiting for you to cancel debts. Waiting for you to let prisoners go free and be satisfied. So that the body of Christ can move forward in power and really be the healed body of the Lord. Can be the healed body of the Lord. Be satisfied as your father is satisfied. Be satisfied as your father is satisfied. Be satisfied as your father is satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord. Now, there are people that that have been wounded and have been hurt. And it's kind of like put your future on hold, you feel. And God's saying to you, if you would just get satisfied with this thing, your future will go forward as planned. It won't be hindered. It'll go forward as planned. See, the devil came in to stop it with an offense. And no, it wasn't small. And yeah, it hurt. They all do. But I paid for that, says the Lord, and you can forgive and you can be satisfied. You can be satisfied with that forgiveness. And then you can build your life on that satisfaction instead of disappointment and hurt and anger. You can build your life on a satisfaction foundation instead of disappointment and hurt and anger, says the Spirit of God. So this day he wants you to be satisfied. He wants us to be satisfied. The Lord wants us to be satisfied, to be satisfied. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you.
Tonight, Lord, we sing about your love. We sing of when love came down and rescued us, Lord. When the name of Jesus came to our rescue, Lord. Something about your name, Lord.
healing anointing in this place tonight. Let the King of Glory in. 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 Let the King of Glory in.
welcome your King of glory. We welcome your King of glory. tonight. I believe there's a, an anointing in this place. The name of Jesus is in this place. Whatever you have need of tonight, just go ahead and reach out. Jesus, you're my hope when I'm hopeless. You're my dignity for my shame, Lord. You're my healer when I'm broken. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Magnify you, Lord. Magnify you, Lord.
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, Lord. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. The oil of gladness. The oil of joy. And now my cup overflows, oh Lord. Yes, my cup overflows, oh Lord. Yes, my cup overflows, oh Lord.